When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Formula for Success. I'm David Colthard and staring across me is a true Formula One icon. Oh, not again. Oh, from ah. nothing. Wait for it. Ah. From nothing. Where has he, he got this from? Well, just be patient. Okay. It's getting better. From nothing, he built his own team who raced for 15 seasons in Formula ah, One, la, la, la. taking on the big boys. Ah, yes. Punching well above their weight and giving us countless memorable moments. Now, this is a bit I don't agree with. He is my good friend. We'll take that bit out in the edit. Well, you Eddie Jordan! You didn't write any of that, that's for certain. <laughs> I hate when you do this, David, because I was going to be nice to you. I was going to say to you, you're looking fresh, you're looking very tanned, you've clearly been away for a few days, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, let's get started, and don't be too nice to me, because I can't cope with people being nice well, to Well, look, uh, it's just as well we've started being nice to each other on this episode, because we don't actually have a guest this week. So today, myself and Judge Jordan, as I'm going to be calling you for the rest of this, are going to be giving you our verdict on the season so far. But first, Eddie, it's celebrity story time. What have you got for us? Actually, it goes back to 91, uh, my first year. I finished the season in Adelaide and your great teammate, Mickey Hakenham, was there. He had a most horrific accident. But the World Championship was won by Ayrton Senna. And the start of the thing was Adelaide was one of those first places that took on a little bit from Silverstone with the idea of having after parties. And they had mixed it with pay people. And they had a person who's very sadly, very, and will be a great loss, uh, passed last couple of weeks, uh, Tina Turner. She was absolutely a giant. And uh, I remember going to a Tina Turner concert at the end of Adelaide Grand Prix, we were all very concerned about Mika, but we knew then he was out of danger. Paul Watkins had absolutely done a miracle job with him. And um, when she started to sing, and there was about 70,000, 80,000 people there, uh, she reached out. All the drivers were invited, and we had a little area that we were in. And she went off stage, went down and grabbed Ayrton Senna by the hand and brought him on stage and sang into his eyes, simply the best. I'll never, ever forget that because it was a magic moment. It's one of those things that you just can't buy. Now, Adelaide was great like that, and my story starts with Adelaide because... On the Thursday of Grand Prix weekends and those times, in the afternoon, we'd have a bit of spare time. And there was a group of us who regularly went off to play golf. And this was no exception. Uh, the people was um, myself, Alan Prost, uh, who was driving for Ferrari at the time. Um, there was uh, Jackie Stewart and, of course, none other than Nigel Mansell. And Mansell was there. He had uh, explained that he wanted to qualify for the Australian Open. 
And uh, so he was very keen to go and play. So I rustled up these guys and the four of us went off to Royal Adelaide to play in the afternoon, maybe about three o'clock, just after we'd finished all the press things and the various things with the team. And I walked in and this this guy came charging for me and he he embraced me. He said, oh my God, he said, for, for years in the junior Formula, Formula 3, he said, I'm such a fan. And I wow. thought this was a piss take. I really did. And I'm looking around to see who, who are the, which of these three have... Uh, Put this guy up to it. So He's he, so untrusting. Uh, well, just listen, I was me and then these absolute heroes with me. So um, gave us some um, uh, heart clubs and stuff and he brought out a special pe- uh, set for me. And I'm saying, mm, Kitty size. And so he said, no, I, I, they're for you. He said, you're not going to believe this. But he said, my eldest son is called Jordan. And he told me his name was Pete Hormsby. And we went out and played and we came back. And when I came back, he took the clubs back, obviously, the, the higher clubs. And he said, I'd really like you to keep those clubs. And I said, look, I can't do that. Uh, that's very, very generous. You know, I'm going home and I'm playing and I've got luggage and the trucks and everything is a weight and kilos on the freight and stuff. Thank you very much. Why don't you keep them until next year and uh, I'll play again with them if you want. So I became friendly with this family. And as a... Jordan was in karting, so he wanted me to have a look at the little videos that he was doing. Following year in Adelaide, had the clubs again, and we roll on. Then roll on about 15, 16 years after that. It was the PGA um, tournament in Wentworth, which is the second biggest tournament in Europe. Uh, it's the BMW. And um, I went out to see, uh, living in Wentworth, we walked across the fairway. We were on the 12th fairway watching. Uh, I think Paul McGinley was right up near the front. And we were walking back, and this guy is running shouting, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. And I'm saying... You must have ordered money. This, probably did. It turned out to be Pete Ormsby's youngest son who didn't go into motor racing, but went into golf. And here he was in the top four or five leading this championship. He hugged me and I said to him, you know, he was inside the ropes. Now, this never, ever happens. He was inside the ropes. Um, So I promised him I would leave my phone number in the marker's hut at the end. And um, that's what I did. And, you know, he sent us a message and it's almost embarrassing to talk about it. So maybe we should hear what I've he has to say. I've never seen you embarrassed, but well, anyway. No, but it's just a freaky thing. It just shows you in life how things can just, out of nothing, um, come the most unbelievable friendship. And this same guy, I'm seeing him in a couple of weeks when he's playing in the, uh, the Valderrama Open in, in, in Sotto Grande at the, at the end of July. Hi, Eddie, and hi, DC. It's been a long time since the early 90s when the F1 circuits come to town. I was a massive F1 fan, so was the rest of my family. And, um, yeah, but golf was my chosen sport. I was playing the BMW PGA at Wentworth, and Eddie um, said he'd leave his phone number at the scorer's hut after the 18th hole, so I had five or six holes to play. Sure enough, there was the phone number. I called Eddie. And then that led to me staying in Eddie's and Marie's annex the next few years. And, um, yeah, we had plenty of great times together, plenty of great chats. The best thing about Eddie and Marie and, yeah, just the inspiration and the way he helped me and just his talks about life and sport and um, I forever cherish them. It drove me to be a better golfer and, um, yeah, Gone on to have four wins, Hong Kong Open, probably my biggest. I've actually won the Hong Kong Open twice, and um, 21 or 22 years later, I'm still playing on tour at 43 years of age. So, um, 
yeah, he's definitely been an inspiration to me, and I still love F1. Don't don't miss a race, and um, all the way back to those seven up and Sassold cars in the early nineties. Um, yep, it's a long long connection with the Jordan family, so we all still keep in touch, and um, yeah, it's a great relationship to keep. Sounds like a lovely bloke. You'd like him, DC, because I think he can. He could probably take you Does on. He like a dram. And like I think he he Morton likes it. Listen, those Aussies are savage. Just come off the back of Canada. Red Bull won their 100th Grand Prix as an entrant and constructor. Absolutely incredible. incredible. And you mentioned Ayrton Senna, Tina Turner in Australia was simply the best. Well, Max Verstappen has just equaled Ayrton's record of 41 Grand Prix victories. Uh, that in itself is, is an incredible result and testament to, to his skills as a driver. So... What do you reckon, EJ, before I sort of give a my little bit of insight to the inner workings of, of Red Bull, what is it you see in the way they operate that has made them so successful? Longevity, uh, loyalty, um, focus, attention to all the minor details. And I think even though sometimes it looks somewhat a little bit turbulent from the outside, Adrian Newey has found his natural home. Yes, he was good at Williams, but he never really liked it. And um, him and Ron Dennis at, at McLaren, while they were massively successful, I think it just suits Adrian Newey and his the brain that he's got, which it, there's not many better brains in the entire universe, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to this kind of getting speed out of something that you design. So I think the concoction of the, the main team, but the two key top people have been there for a very long time. Uh, it's not necessarily a marriage made in heaven, and sometimes that helps. Um, Adrian can be a fiery guy and, and Christian equally so, but it works. But let us not forget one thing here. Max Verstappen will emerge over time to be the greatest driver of all time. Uh, he's that good. I don't like the last couple of races. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm bored to death with them. Um, and he's just that good. He's making it boring. Much more so than, than, than the Schumacher era. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe so. You know, I found the Schumacher era pretty boring because I was standing there on the podium listening to the German national anthem being played repeatedly. And uh, as a good friend of ours, Mark Gallagher, often quotes, uh, he found himself actually singing the German national anthem once in the no, shower. Never, never quite got around. Yeah, he never got around to that. But look, Rebel, um, you, you mentioned something there which I, I feel I should just uh, correct slightly. You said that, you know, Adrian and, and Christian are fiery, fiery characters. Well, my view on that is I've only seen Christian angry once, truly angry, and it was when Mark Webber and I were teammates and it was uh, the Chinese Grand Prix. And uh, uh, it was one of those transitional races, wet to dry. Um, I was running uh, out of sequence with the pit stops that Mark was on, but in front of him, uh, and crucially, just behind Kovalainen, who I think was in the McLaren, um, and he was an eighth, and the points went to down to that position, six at that time, whatever. And um, and the, the team call came because Mark, on fresher tyres, was, was catching us for me to move over. And I was like, well, I've got a point in front of me. I'm not moving over for a point. You know, I'd done enough of that in my career at Williams with Damon and was reminded of it recently. My, my first time I was on the podium in um, Portugal, 94, I was actually leading Damon and moved over to let him through so he could get that victory. But anyway, um, so I, I declined the opportunity to move over 
eventually was able to get past Kovalainen and then Mark didn't on that occasion get in front of him as well. So it confirmed that my belief that I could get past the guy. But when we were discussing it after the race, Jesus was Christian angry. You know, his neck changed colour, veins popping on his neck because he, he just, he felt that we needed to operate as a, as a team at all times. And he said, I've got to be a team player, which really tweaked a nerve for me because I've always been a team player. I get what it is to, to play your part in a team. But anyway, that's the only time I saw Christian angry. And an Adrian angry is throwing his pencil on the table. And when I say throwing it, he's very respectful of his pencils. So he kind of sets it down and rolls it away. They're not fiery characters in the way that I would imagine a Gunter Steiner is when he flips his chips. So oh. I, I would oh. imagine we, you, when you flipped your chips, uh, I'm sure, are f more fiery I, I characters. I was horrible. I'm not, uh, I'm not a good, angry person. Um, you talk about being on the podium listening to another, which was the, the German, German national anthem. Of two of my wins, they never played the Irish national anthem. Because you weren't an entrant, were you? No, I was the Irish entrant because okay. it was a free entry. Okay. And when we won in Spa, they didn't have the Irish national anthem to play. Oh, that's shocking. So at the time, there was still a bit of kerfuffle between the Irish and the English and bombs and this and that and the other. So when the English national anthem got played, I got absolutely slaughtered by the Irish press because they thought that I'd given that impression or they thought that I was racing under a British license and I never was. The second time was in Brazil um, in the race that you caused. I, that you I led most of the... <laughs> I didn't you you the led crash. every race, didn't you? You led every race. You should have won every race. You were a pain in the ass, actually, David, to be honest. You, you were I genuinely at, led that one. Of course you let it, but you didn't have enough fuel in the car because your management and Ron Dennis screwed up. We didn't screw up, and we won the race. However, when they went back to count it up, it was given to uh, Kimmy. Kimmy, and Kimmy had to give the trophy back. So there's two Irish national anthems that the people were deprived of. Right, we're moving on. Red Bull, definitely top of the class. Um, Mercedes on the comeback, and we, we spoke about this in, in previous episodes where... You know, Lewis was had lost his mojo a little bit, and I explained in my view that George has to be a little bit careful not to get ahead of himself. You know, we both agree, as as many millions of people can observe around the world. You know, George Russell is a potential future champion, brilliant driver, no, full no. commitment, super, you know, super good at every aspect of being a Grand Prix driver. But we sort of gave warning: just be careful of getting ahead of yourself, because a Lewis, when he's on form is a formidable teammate. There's a class there. And it doesn't mean he's unbeatable because even the, the late great Ernst Senna was occasionally beaten by his teammates. But I think we've definitely seen a little turning of the tide in terms no of Lewis is looking pretty sharp and there's a, there's a spring in his voice, if you like, when he's talking to the team. So what, what's your, your views on, on Mercedes and their comeback? Concur everything that you said about George. I was um, super concerned, as I mentioned this on a previous show, However, um, George has absolutely surpassed everything that I thought he could be, and he is a brilliant and a potential future world champion if he's in the right position in the right car. He's got everything. However, Lewis, he's upped his game. He's found that mojo again. I thought he drove a good tactical race yesterday, giving the car the best chance. But I think it's encouraging as to what's seeing at, at Mercedes, but they still have a bit to catch up with, with the Aston Martin, which still looks very strong and um, still 
a couple of tenths away from, from the Red Bull, and I don't see the Red Bull suffering in the future. I think the championship is over. It's sad to say, but that's what I think. I can't see anyone touching Max. Okay, well, I don't think many people are going to disagree with that. That said, Formula One is always about rising to the challenge. Your old team, Aston Martin, uh, you mentioned them there. They are just brilliantly consistent in the hands of Fernando Alonso. Yeah, and then what happens now? Here's a question. You own Aston Martin and you put fortunes and fortunes of your own money in and probably more, more understanding that there's a huge amount of sponsorship money going. What do you say to the sponsors who have come to you when they ask you the question? Are you sure that Lance can do the job that we need to do to get this team to be a winning constructors team? And I want to know if you're Lorna Stroll, what do you answer them with? Well, the stopwatch doesn't lie. And that, that, that is a brilliantly simple statement of truth, which I apply to other things I'm involved in, like More Than Equal, which is uh, you know, an, a not-for-profit foundation that is going to help find and, and support young girls in karting to allow them to, to reach their potential. Right. Congratulations. What well we're, thank you very much. But what we're definitely not doing is, is trying to manufacture a miracle. Because if you cannot, if you don't have the core skill which is to navigate way, your way around a racetrack within a certain period of time you're just not quick enough so uh, what i would say and i'm not saying lance isn't quick enough he's won everything all the way through uh, his journey towards formula one i think there's been some elements of misfortune in his run this year but is it any surprise in one of the most difficult transitional qualifying sessions that they've seen this year and in monaco as well that to one young brilliant talent and a, an older brilliant talent find their way onto the front row. So there's a point where you can't keep making excuses. And I had this conversation with my 14-year-old son this morning uh, about his karting. You know, he's racing this weekend. And I'm like, the weekend starts now. We're recording this on a Monday. His, his preparation, his going to bed, everything has to be based around trying to win the race on Sunday. Because if he only starts to do that come Friday, he's beaten. He, because you've got to be disciplined. You've got to be focused. And there is no part-time professionals. You either act like a professional or you're not. So... Are you saying that, that Lance is a part-time professional? I'm not. What I'm saying is, coming back to the very beginning, the stopwatch doesn't lie. Sure. You review at the end of the year or whatever point the teams decide on the drivers. And if there's a two-tenth or a one-tenth or a three-tenth offset, you know, the reason Daniel Ricciardo was paid not to drive by McLaren is he had one of the biggest offsets between teammates last year. And it, it was just too cost. It was more cost-effective for McLaren to pay him not to drive than to keep him in the car. And, and so there, there is the reality of all this. So this is not a show friends. This is not a personality competition. This is a stopwatch competition. And at a certain point, that is what will dictate, um, you know, what teams choose to do in the future. I'm sure you had sometimes drivers in the car that you didn't truly believe were a Schumacher or whatever because they were paying the bills, but you needed no, to do that. Worse than that. You know, um, we'll have somebody come on, hopefully, who'll be a guest later in another show, and we'll talk about the engine partner. And, you know, I just won and had a chance, finished third in the World Championship and, and, and had a chance, won a couple of Grand Prix with him and had a chance to, to win the title. And suddenly, Honda said to me, I'm sorry, you've got to get rid of friends and um, uh, Takumo Sato, we need a Japanese driver in the car. I mean... 
what can you say? What can you say? You need the engine, you need the input, you need the funding. Um, and, and I remember going to Germany that race weekend, and they literally wanted to string me up. I mean, if they could got their hands on me, I think I was brown bread. And uh, there was no way I could have escaped that. There's very few, if any other professional sports, that an individual, male, female, whatever, would be given a role based on nationality rather than talent. And football... You know, would would Man City put a player out because it suits them to have someone from the, you know, the uh, the Qataris that own Man City? Of course they would. Why, no, why, why did Chelsea put Christian Pulisic in there? A, he's a fantastic player. You've got to be a fantastic player, though. But, but he was, primarily, it was the ticket into America. He sold more shirts than the whole rest of the team combined. I mean, it was a goldmine for them. Okay. So, right. it was, know, it was of course, a... financial comes into it yeah. as well, and it depends on the makeup and the structure of the team as to where the money is coming from. But there is no shortage of money in that Aston Martin team. So sooner or later, somebody's going to have to come to terms with, is this the best way forward for yeah. the team to win a constructor's title, or do we look at it differently? Right. We've got to talk about Ferrari. Where, where do we start? Well, let's start at the beginning. <laughs> and, uh, they delivered a car to the track that looked reasonably quick, but clearly not as competitive when it came to one lap pace as last year. And since then, they, they've really been behind Aston. Maybe we're in front of Mercedes to start with, but Mercedes now are in front of them. And there seems to be just a general sort of lack of cohesive teamwork as they go through. Now, I know it's easy to criticise when teams aren't working, but in fairness, if you look at Mercedes when they were struggling a, a bit at the beginning of the year, there was just an honesty. Toto was fronting it up to the media going, we haven't done a good enough job. We're going to go back to the drawing board. And it just diffused the whole situation. So have Ferrari been guilty of, of sort of trying to sweep it under the carpet? Or what's your take on, on their current performance? And crucially, where do they go from here? So... One of the most exciting things when I, in 91, when I went to the very beginning of 91, uh, been invited to Maranello. We're trying to review uh, this year. I, I, if let we me may. talk about it because uh, at that stage, there was Luca Montezemolo and the boss man was um, Cesare Fiorio. And, and for me, think about it. They were good people. They had Michele Alboreto and other good drivers in Villeneuve, and Villeneuve, and we know that they were there or thereabouts as a strong team. Apart from the Michael Schumacher era, they have been shocking. Now, what was significant about Michael Schumacher? He brought a team of people with him because he knew who they were. He brought Rory Byrne, Pat Simmons, a couple of other guys. I'm sorry, but at the moment, do not expect anyone, no matter who it is, to get Ferrari up there winning again without the likes of the control that Michael Schumacher had and the ability that he had to bring those people inside Ferrari. Well, we, we talked about Fred, and we thought I really thought he would make a difference. He has not. If anything, it's gone backwards. And I've never heard Charles Leclerc be so critical of a team as he was this weekend. I'm going to give Fred the benefit of the doubt, because the old expression, Rome wasn't built in a day, he's only been there for a few months. I agree. So, you know, we're only a third of the way through the season. In Fred, I trust, and I think a strong Formula One needs a strong Ferrari. Right, we're not going to go through all the other other teams because uh, we just not have enough time. Uh, could we keep? I've got we to keep, ask it though. But see, this is what happens. You, we keep deviating no, all over we the don't, place because we you asked me about Ferrari. Leclerc was critical of the team. Have you ever heard that before? 
Yes, Alan Prost, 1991. Okay. And you know Alan, what happened? Yeah, he got fired. <laughs> he got tired. And I, you I were there. there. I was there. That's a good point. He got fired for seeing the car was a dog or something a like donkey, that. donkey, wasn't it? Or yeah, something yeah. stupid. In yeah. French, whatever, that, a donkey in France. Well, I tell you what, the day Ferrari fired Charles Leclerc is uh, is a day that's never never going to be seen because he is a talent, there's no question. And that talent just needs the last little bit, you know, the icing on the cake will be when he gets into being a regular winner and then the confidence will grow and uh, I'm sure we're going to see great things from him in the future. Well, as we've gone a bit longer than I anticipated, EJ, we've only got time for one listener's question and this one is relating to golf. He's asking the question, what you think of the PGA Tour and Live Golf coming together and could something that ever happen in f1 and just for the listeners who don't know anything about you know pga is um the established tour and live golf was uh, set up with a public investment fund of saudi arabia now they signed a number of the very top players which was you know caused all sorts of trouble and basically the live golf players who'd signed to that uh, championship were not allowed to play on PGA tournaments. Now they've realised that the only way forward is together. Because we saw this in America, didn't we, with the breakaway IRL championship from IndyCar, and it just basically drove down the IndyCar championship, which was a big threat to Formula One at a certain point. So now they've come together. Do you see that as the right way, or do you think that just you know commercial entities should go about their business and? You know, sports people should make their choices where they play. I think um, <clears throat> we're at the forefront of something that's going to happen here, in my opinion. And um, I was very shocked to see that negotiations had been done behind closed doors. Remember, um, the PGA is different to soccer, football, mo motor racing, anything like that, because it's effectively teams. In golf, it's the individual. And the individual players appoint the PGA, which is a professional golfers association, handled by Jay Monaghan, who's their CEO, and he is responsible to there with those players. And for him not to even consider discussing this potential deal or unification with any of the players, the reason why Rory is so upset, the reason why Tiger is so upset is the fact that they were not even consulted after they... Why? Why is that? I would sack him. I mean, for me, I'd have no respect for Jay, uh, Jay Monaghan. I think he is, uh, it, it was a low caliber thing that he did. That's just my opinion. I'm sure people will have a different opinion. And just, you talked about I IRL. This is different, David, because this is a sovereign government. And it shows that the Saudis have come in and taken over what they effectively think in the States is the PGA, which is like, the NFL or something like that. It's an institution. And let me tell you, it's not over because it has been referred to Congress and it's coming up in Congress very soon. So I would not assume that this unification is real until such time as it gets the possible stamp of approval. Okay, well... I really appreciate the passion. Um, I'm not sure I'm any clearer <laughs> as to <laughs> what, what I actually, why... It won't happen. David, in my opinion, these uh, LiveGov cannot sit comfortably with the PGA. It just physically can't happen because of the fact that I've just said it to you. The government in uh, America, 
The Congress will not allow somebody, particularly now at the moment when, <laughs> when the Saudis have lined up with the, with the Chinese to do all of their oil buying and it's not in petrodollars. I mean, come on, please tell me. Are you telling me politics doesn't play in this? This is politics, man. I think we need to wrap it up um, before our dear listeners um, start. Fall asleep. Exactly. They're probably already asleep. Well, for those who are, wake up. Wake ah. up. EJ, what are you up to this weekend? Uh, I'm, yeah, I haven't even thought about it. It's Monday and I'm still here and I'm talking to you. If I escape today, I'm not going for a drink with you this evening. That's for sure. I'm on a flight. I'm on a flight to I'm Poland very, tonight. I'm very happy to hear that. Yes. Okay. Um, and so uh, we, we've some ground rules now because the last couple have been savage, mind you. Liam Cunningham didn't help, did he? I mean, he's a nightmare. Jesus. What a lovely man. Ah. And he likes a wee dram, which doesn't make him a bad person. So remember, if you want to get in touch, follow us at F1 for Success on social media, or you can email us at ffs at whisper.tv. See you next week, Eddie. Absolutely, David. Have a lovely time in Poland. Lucky I, you. I'm only there briefly, and oh. then I go to London, and then I go to Portugal. I'm actually slipping the Nomex on again. I am going to be doing yeah. a running show car event in a Formula One car in Lisbon. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm in training this week. They're still talking about you when you did that in Cape Town. You know that? Yeah. That taxi driver has me driven crazy. He said he was quicker than you. I don't know how that matters. Well, there was few who weren't quicker than me, which is why I'm now doing a podcast with you. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, listeners. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.